we've seen a lot of articles recently about um, artificial intelligence and um, especially when it relates to facial recognition um, and how that is being built, how it's being tested and how it is uh, behaving in the real world. And we're seeing a lot of uh, negative effects specifically around uh, dealing with people of color being misidentified disproportionately compared to the broader audience and identified as um, suspects, criminals, and um, when clearly they are, are, are not. As technology becomes more and more a part of our everyday lives, even if it's in ways that we're not aware of, it shines a light on the implications of an area of tech that a lot of folks aren't aware of, and that's product management and testing. These are areas of tech development that in the past helped make sure that the product, well, just worked. More and more, there's the possibility for ethical implications in this part of the industry, and that's our topic today. How an inadequate product and testing plan can lead to a denial of service for some well-meaning individuals between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking the sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, the topic of ethics in technology isn't new. Almost as long as there's been technology, there's been the opportunity to exploit it for personal or corporate or even nation state gain. And we as a society have purpose to rein this potential in through awareness and guidelines and even laws. A simple Google search on technology ethics returns pages of results from news articles about abuses and laws and even graduate or postgraduate programs to help educate you. But as I mentioned earlier, our focus here today is directed more at product management and testing, and that given the right circumstances, it can lead to ethical issues out of sheer neglect or even lack of awareness or budget. Now, I'm joined today in the virtual studio by Mike Restiello, a product manager at Rackspace, and Heather Ferguson, our content strategist at Solve. Now, Mike, this first caught your eye this past year after some announcements from Google. What was it that caught your attention? So where this first kind of kicked off was uh, seeing um, after the uh, WWDC this, this past summer from, from Apple, they uh, had some new security features where they're going to let you know um, certain things like who's uh, trying to access your Bluetooth settings, who's trying to view your clipboard and things like that. And after those notifications started popping up for people on the developer beta, um, a lot of publications were writing articles about hey, guess who's snooping on your clipboard? And it made it out to be very malicious. And all these companies are doing bad things and they're seeing what you're copying. Um, but there really wasn't the full story. Um, really, there's a lot of use cases for why an application would want to see your clipboard. Um, for an example, like a, a shipping application, like a UPS or FedEx, they would want to see, hey, do you have a text on your clipboard that matches the string that is our tracking number? If so, hey, we're just going to automatically track that for you. We don't want to have to make the user click four or five times to paste in their tracking number. Just they know, okay, this matches our, our, our schema for tracking numbers. Here's your package. Here's what is going to be delivered, reducing friction for people to 
um, use their app, get them in, get them out, they're done. Um, so that's where a lot of that came from. Sure sounds like a pretty pretty innocent use case. What what could be so bad about that? So in the case of an application like FedEx or UPS looking at your clipboard for tracking information, that's pretty innocent. Uh, the issue arises where you have applications that you don't know or from uh, developers or companies that are not um, mainstream or not you know well-known, well-trusted companies are accessing your clipboard to just see what's there and send it off to a server somewhere. And it's who knows where that goes. Uh, you can see that with, uh, you know, really independent developers who are creating these really weird games that are just trying to get people to, um, you know, download them and um, just basically scrape as much information they, they can uh, that's possible through whatever APIs are available to them and collect it and, and just it's sitting somewhere on a server for them to do whatever with, to sell whoever. Um, that's really the unknown. Right. And so what we found then is with that increased visibility, being able to see who is accessing, in this case, the clipboard, uh, we're then able to see who else may be the bad actors and the good actors who are doing stuff there. And it's ultimately that visibility, any visibility is usually what shows up who's being a good guy and who's being a bad guy. And, uh, and that's, you know, brings us deeper into that conversation around ethics. Now, we also invited Heather to be a part of the program today. Her first time on, so welcome, Heather. We're glad that you're here. But, but I brought you in because I thought your, your, your contribution as we were doing some of the planning for this was, was super interesting. And you brought a point of view, I thought, also that, that really helped. In fact, you even talked about an example. And this gets into, we were using the binary before of you got good actors and you got bad actors. But Mike, you brought up a great point in the article, and that was that then there's just rushed development, and sometimes that creates what can be perceived as an ethical issue. So Heather, talk about that issue you brought up around you know just just simply trying to wash hands. So um, there is an example that we we found in our research that there was an automatic soap dispenser, and something about the way that the soap dispenser worked, it it would give soap very easily to someone who had light colored skin. Um, but then when someone with dark colored skin would put their hand under the dispenser, no soap would come out. So it's, it's an interesting use case because it's a pretty innocuous example. It's soap. You know, there's likely going to be other ways to get soap. But it just shows more a, um, a lack of testing and a lack of diversity in testing that this would come to market without um, somebody of dark skin testing it in any capacity. So, so Mike, does that sound like somebody's trying to be, you know, Hey, we don't want people of colored skin to have clean hands or to, do we have some rush development here? This is definitely a, probably a case of uh, rush development and not as much testing as needed or not testing enough at all. Um, their developers during this process were probably testing it as they were building it or the product team um, engineers that were building it were, you know, build it, put on the wall, put their hands under it, make sure it works. Like, yep, it works. Cool. It works. It works locally. And then shipping it off to the next phase and just not either not having enough time or not getting the right uh, audience or broad enough audience to do that. And I find this also sort of interesting in that, you know, those developers, you know, all they needed was motion down there. Maybe they're trying to be fancy and said, hey, look, we don't want to, you know, somebody puts their shoe under. We don't want to get soap on their shoe. Or, you know, so they thought, hey, let's use color instead. And then they don't test it the whole way through. So in an effort maybe to do it right, they actually made the problem potentially a little bit worse. But that brings up a point 
uh, it reminds me, Mike, that we talked about when we were planning for this, and that was sample size in testing and the fact that that has a lot of issues in a lot of other areas that ultimately then can create, well, some fuzzy lines between is this inconvenient, is this an ethical violation, or are we really you know, doing some harm to some people? So you know, how about some examples around facial recognition, Mike? You've, you've brought some of those up in the past. Sure. So we've seen a lot of articles recently about um, artificial intelligence and um, especially when it relates to facial recognition um, and how that is being built, how that's being tested and how it is uh, behaving in the real world. And we're seeing a lot of uh, negative effects specifically around uh, dealing with people of color being misidentified disproportionately compared to the broader audience, Um, you know, just really misidentifying and causing, you know, true harm because people are being targeted and identified as um, suspects, criminals, and um, when clearly they are, are, are not. Well, and Heather, you, in your research, you found some examples there as well. Yeah, I think a lot of it is tied to the fact that people of color are over-indexed in um, police databases or law enforcement databases. So um, it's, it's tied back a lot to how um, how they are disproportionately represented in these data- databases, and then the databases are leveraged by this technology, and it, it leads to um, unfortunate outcomes. So, so then when we think about ethics in IT, and specifically in this case, when we think about it in the context of product development, really we have, we have three aspects. We have inconvenience, we have just the app or the service not working the way it should, and then we have real harm you know, could be caused. And then there's there, I guess, could be the fourth if somebody's really, truly trying to be malicious, which, um, you know, the optimist in me says, you know, a bunch of folks doing product development aren't trying to actually hurt people. So maybe we should discount that to a degree. But then again, I'm a half glass is uh, glass is half full kind of a person anyway. So when we think about ethics in IT, Mike, as a product developer, product manager, you know, what are the some of the things that, you know, you strive for to help make sure that, um, that, that we don't get into any of those issues. Number one key is always diversity and that's diversity every step of the way from requirements gathering to who you're uh, building uh, uh, your, your user stories with who's actually doing the developing and the designing of these products, whether it's hardware or software, um, who is QAing them and then who is in your testing group. You want to have a diverse enough uh, population in all of those as possible. Um, ranging from everywhere from uh, race to sexuality to gender. Um, you want to you check as many boxes as possible. Yeah. Who's going to use this this tool? Uh, and then how do you have to make sure that you account for all of it? And then who could possibly use this feature, this tool, this this device? Uh, makes, makes a lot of sense. So Heather, we've talked a lot on the program uh, through the fall about diversity. Um, what are your thoughts there as it relates to this whole topic of, of ethics and sample size and who and all of that? It's interesting because it ties back to the field of IT in general, which is unfortunately not the most diverse body of, of people. Um, it's obviously getting better over time. Um, but it's something that just seems to be when when the deadlines are, are short or things are quick, um, it's not necessarily something that is the top of, of mind for people or top priority. Um, but it does seem like just from the conversations we've been having on the podcast, the conversations we've seen, um, you know, in the zeitgeist recently, it does seem to be a, a, a more 
uh, relevant topic for more people. And especially as we start talking about AI and technology that will be able to act independently, um, we're starting to see these, these stories kind of rise to the top. So it's absolutely an interesting thing to track and watch as time goes on. Well, that's a really interesting point. You know, here we were talking about it more from a context of product development, but when that product thinks for itself or has machine learning baked into it, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about that. The, you know, you've got the AI for good program, uh, program that's out there. Uh, and there was an interesting article an event that occurred earlier this year, and that was when Google tried to put an ethics board together to help guide their own thinking, and it fell apart within a week. Uh, apparently, the, the story goes back to an individual was chosen who comes from more of a conservative background, and Google employees were pretty upset about that. They were concerned. Uh, and uh, over the course of a weekend, mounted a petition, and within a week, Google, they didn't correct anything. They didn't restate anything. Ultimately, they just canceled the whole program and moved on, which I thought was really uh, a bold move. Uh, and I don't know if it's a good bold move, but it was a big move. So as part of that, then, MIT comes back and has put together a bunch of really interesting guiding principles. They pulled a whole board, what they considered their board together for Google to, to answer that. And everybody had really some interesting input on it. And the first was, you know, what is the reason the corporation, the organization is pulling it together? You know, having some guiding principles and having them be transparent. Uh, because within Google's case, they weren't transparent, uh, which ultimately I think is also part of why they ultimately just canceled the the entire thing altogether and haven't attempted to, to put it together. One the other is to define, you know, what technology are they, they putting the boundaries around? You know, when you think about about AI, you think about what's what the and the machine learning, what they're making decisions against, it's important to, to couch that because you know it, it it makes a difference as to the the length of those guiding ethical principles. So Mike, in in the product world, how do you approach you you obviously have a strong uh, I'll call it a moral backbone for the ethical um, considerations of, of product development. But have you seen organizations who have actually stated out, you know, how they want to approach that? Uh, most of the things that I've seen is mostly been reactionary to something happened and how are we going to deal with this? Um, there are, are dozens of examples of companies not handling it very well. Um, the best one in recent memory of companies of having a very bad situation happen and, and kind of handling it as best as possible uh, was target the target breach a couple of years back. Mm. Um, they didn't handle it perfectly, but there was a lot of good things that they did. Um, they had, um, they, they released a statement after a couple uh, days or weeks saying what happened, what was affected, who was affected or, or people were uh, contacted privately, obviously. Uh, also um, what they did was they set up um, free credit monitoring for uh, anybody who was affected so that they could watch their credit for a year. They had free credit monitoring. Um, and they also brought in an independent um, outside firm to um, audit the situation of what happened, how did it happen, how can we prevent it from happening again? And, you know, I made the comment earlier that uh, I really would think that that most companies aren't trying to be out there and be malicious. But there is an example. Uh, it was the Volkswagen example where they were training cars to beat emissions tests. Um you know, on the uh, on the ethical side of the house, you know, you can you can you know people make decisions for their different motivating reasons. But in this case, they're trying to do something patently illegal. In the case of California emission controls, it's interesting because um, if you use the internet, or you have a credit card, or if you have a social media account, 
um, someone has your, your data, some, some information about you that they can then leverage. I mean, I work in marketing. I, I know how targeted advertising works. I know how, um, you know, social media advertising works when, but it's funny, sometimes I still get surprised by it. So for an example, I, um, when I was pregnant, I went and bought some pregnancy jeans and, um, I was able to get a discount to sign up for that company's newsletter. And what happened after that was really interesting to me. I started getting free uh, magazines in the mail, parenting magazines. And then I started getting samples of formula and, and baby products, bottles. And it was, as a marketer, I knew exactly what they were doing. I know that pregnancy is a very short-lived period of time. So they have a very limited amount of time to target people with this type of advertising. I understood the motivation. But I had given them all that data just for a sense of convenience, uh, a, a small discount. <laughs> so it's something that we're often balancing when it comes to your data and your privacy online. Is um, Facebook is a great example. I still have a Facebook account, even though I know what they're doing with my data. But it's more convenient for me to use it to update people in my life than it is to get rid of it. So it's, 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 it's an interesting conundrum when we're talking about um, data and privacy and how our data is being leveraged online because it is, it is everywhere. Well, and, and sometimes it's not necessarily, you know, us giving up a convenience, uh, giving up some of our information for that convenience, but it's the company just, you know, lowest common denominator. You know, Mike, you had some thoughts there. Sure. So you have, um, when you're building, whether you're a developer, product manager, designer, you have a lot of um, guidelines you have to work within. Sometimes they're legal. Sometimes they're, they're corporate guidelines. Um, in, the, in, in the U.S., we have uh, the California, the CCPA that we have to adhere to, but that doesn't apply to other states. So we have to apply that same guidelines to uh, the entire country. In the same way, if you're making a product that's international, you have uh, GDPR and other um, local um guidelines and regulations and laws that you have to follow and how do you balance that between each region do you have a separate experience for all of those do you um, give that same experience to all users and just kind of blanket and say okay this is the most strict guidelines that we have to follow that everyone is going to be opted into because it's it's easier or it's quicker to build that way um, it's kind of trade-off that you have to work work through plan through work with your your team and your requirements and at the end of the day what your goals are so in some cases, we have the opportunity to make choices that will help impact this. In some cases, we don't. It goes back to the hand washing. You still have to have clean hands. You need soap to make that happen. So in those scenarios, you know, it's incumbent on the development team to really think through how do you make sure that you can serve everyone who needs to wash their hands or whatever the product would be. But then you get into these examples, um, you know, whether it's the social media marketing, whether it is, you know, the other information you mentioned there, Mike. But it's – but it also – a lot of cases – goes back on us, how much are we willing to trade for convenience and become the product? Uh, and, you know, uh, a, a lot of folks are worried about having an Alexa in their house and how much data it's listening to. But there are choices even that we can make there, whether to have it or to not, or where does that processing occur? Mike, you were talking about in, in some of our earlier conversations that, you know, with the power of some of these devices, a lot of this computing is happening on the device across certain manufacturers and others go to the cloud. Maybe maybe chat about that a little bit. Sure. So one of the things that, that Apple um, boasts about in their marketing is that they don't care about your data. They don't want your data. Um, and you can take that at face value. You can, you know, however you, however you feel about that. 
but a lot of their computation, a lot of their, um, especially when it comes to like their um, the Siri assistant happens on device. All the all the learning that happens happens on your um, on your mobile phone, and you can take that at face value and compare that to other products that are out there on the market. Whether you want an Alexa in your home in your house, or you want a Google Home or or a, a HomePod or any other uh, services out there, and kind of trade off those um, as a consumer, make that choice of I'm willing to give up this amount of privacy or this amount of data in for the convenience of, um, you know, having that information available whenever I speak. Yeah. All right. So as we, we get start to get a little closer to the end here, I want to ask um, Heather and Mike each a different question from, well, kind of the same question, but from a different vantage point. So Heather, somebody who is, who is super smart in marketing and what's happening with all of, of the data, what, ex, what, um, ex, advice do you have for for folks who have real decisions to make around that? And then Mike, put this in your back pocket and start thinking about this. And that is as a product developer, you're going to give some advice to product developers of really how they can um, better their offerings by, by thinking through some of these ethical questions. So Heather, first over to you. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you can do to protect yourself if you're starting to become more aware of where your data is. Um, actually, Google, you can go into your profile and see what Google knows about you. You can go in and see, hey, this is what uh, I'm interested in consuming. It can it will tell you like it your it thinks that you're this age and and this gender, and it it, it will actually show you what demographics it's applied to your account. So that's kind of an interesting way, if you're curious about it, to go see how accurate that is, to go see what it's learned about your interests. There's other ways that you, if you are concerned, if, if those are things that you don't want Google or other companies to know, um, there you kind of have to go and find the road less traveled. So, you know, you can... Uh, do your web browsing in a browser that won't collect that data. You can do your search in something that's not a Google. So in a different type of product, you can try and take yourself off of social media um, and, and, and connect with people in different ways. But also one thing that is kind of unfortunate is as a lot of these companies are, uh, as companies are acquired or consolidated, um, you you lose more and more control over where your data is. So for example, WhatsApp, when Facebook bought WhatsApp, now all that data that you had in WhatsApp, which you thought was a completely different company, now belongs to you know a, a different one. So it's it's complicated. There are ways around it. You have to be very calculated with how you enter your data online. The way I handle it personally is I just recognize that um, generally people act in good faith. I mean, there's going to be examples of people who don't, but when it comes to giving my data online, generally the reason that marketers use it are to serve you ads that are interesting to you mm. and, and to serve you things that um, you are more likely to buy. So it's, it's a toss up. It's um, it has to be a decision on either side. Right. So it's, it's certainly not one size fits all. Um, it is an individual decision and it's not just a singular individual decision, but it's one that, that you would make calculated through any of your, your online transactions, but just knowing there's a footprint left behind. Most people just want to sell you stuff, but there's probably some Mm -hmm. bad people who want to do stuff with it as well. All right, Mike. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No. And it's, it's about, um, just being informed. I think a lot of people need to realize that this data is being collected. And I think a lot of the, the big um, documentaries that have been coming out um, are shedding the light on this a little bit more, but whether people act on it, that's an individual choice. 
Yeah, we are the product in that case. <laughs> okay, Mike, what big advice do you have as you sit in the seat to command all product managers everywhere to help ensure that they're doing this right? What, what, what <laughs> comes to mind? Uh, number one is listening to feedback, listening to your team, listening to your users, um, all of that. Take that into account when you're building products. Um, whether you intend to or not, when you are thinking through problems, building uh, technology, designing things, you are bringing your life experiences, your personal biases with you to that project. Um, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, those are with you because they're part of who you are and your, your experiences kind of guide that. And by listening to your team, their experiences, your users' um, experience and their feedback will help you build a more well-rounded um, product that is um, better suited for um, for use. It's um, hopefully more safer and um, just has all the good things and protections in there that you would want to have out there. And the last thing is you're going to make a mistake. Everybody does. It's inevitable. Um the, the key there is just to make sure that once you discover that a mistake has been made, um, admit to it, figure out how to solve it, figure out who was affected by it, how you can fix it, make the situation right, um, and basically take care and protect your users as best as possible. Yeah, and then re-engineer to make sure it doesn't happen again. Thank Learn you. from our mistakes. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Well, I want to thank Heather and Mike for being a part of the conversation. It certainly went in a lot of different directions, but I think that's evidence to the far-reaching implications of ethics in technology today. Well, we're getting close to the end of 2020 and the end of the first season of Cloud Talk. I'd like to thank you all for your continued listening and all the great feedback that we've received. I'm pleased to announce that we will be back in 2021 for another season of weekly podcasts. Now, next week, we have a best of episode with excerpts from some of my favorite moments in season one. I hope you enjoy it.